everyone. Andrew Edwards here, one of the hosts of the Geared Up Podcast. Quick disclaimer on this week's episode. Our guest is Sarah Dietschy, and about 80% into the show, Sarah dropped her audio recorder, which deleted the audio that she was recording on her end. Now, I was recording everything as a backup. However, since we were all on the phone call, her voice is going to sound like it's over the phone rather than through her professional mic for the vast majority of the show, with the exception of about 15 minutes where she was actually able to capture her own audio. So just a quick apology for the audio quality on Sarah Dietschy's end. And now let's get into the show. I will never pay for a MacBook again. What's so unfortunate is like Apple taking away ports isn't something they'll go back on. So we will right. never again see an HDMI, a USB-A, maybe an SD card slot, but everything that we're mm. used to being in a laptop and it's convenient in a laptop, we will probably never see it in a MacBook. There's certain standards where I admire their tenacity to try to lead the charge and like change the standard to USB-C. Thunderbolt 3 mm. is amazing. But it's one of those things that it's like, you're just being annoying by taking away the ports. So it's not helping anyone when you're making a pro device and you take away all that stuff. And I'm paying $3,000 to $4,000 for a pro machine. That literally makes no sense. Welcome to Geared Up, brought to you by National Car Rental. I'm Andrew Edwards. And I am still here, and I am John Rettinger. Still here. I appreciate it. We have our first guest for our show this week, John. Second episode. First guest. We're hitting the ground running. We're peaking really early with guests. That's true. All downhill from here. It's going to be downhill from here, I think. Thank you, everyone, for listening and subscribing, and we'll see you later in life. Guest this week, the incomparable Sarah Dietschy. Hey, what's up, guys? It's an honor. Sarah, how you doing? So good. Yes, thank you so much I for guess. joining us. Thanks for being Glad here. Glad you guys started a podcast. Well, thank you. We have a lot of thoughts, being that we're... How old are we? I don't even... We have a <laughs> combined experience level... Like no other, like no other pair. I just turned 19. <laughs> so, you know, I'm young, young at heart. And I think the last time that I saw Sarah was in her studios in New York doing some creative lifing. Uh, so it's <laughs> cool to to have her back on uh, on our platform. Yes. And by the way, the, Thanks, that creative life, if people don't know out there, that is Sarah Dietschy's podcast. You can find it, I'm sure, anywhere that you listen to podcasts or for that creative life. Sarah, tell people who you are in case they're unaware. Yeah, so I make videos about tech and creativity, so I don't cover every single piece of tech. It's very hard for me to keep up with everything. Absolutely. <laughs> like you guys uh, probably Fair. know. But yeah, I kind of just follow my own interests and uh, figure out, you know, how does this apply in filmmakers, designers, photographers' life. So I've been focusing a lot on laptops the past year. And right now I'm very in like a camera zone. So much crazy stuff in the camera. Yeah is coming out so I, I feel a little bit of a pivot coming <laughs> <laughs> yes and actually we'll be talking about new cameras later on in the show but again that's sarah dici check her out twitter facebook youtube especially let's jump in to the first topic and this is actually we're going in slow into tech today because this isn't necessarily a tech topic but i always try to find a tech angle people have been waiting in line for hours to get a chicken sandwich over the past week and a half or so. Have true. either of you tasted the Popeye's chicken sandwich? I'm going to give the honest answer of no. <laughs> I think last time I ate Popeye's was at four in the morning at CES because uh, it was the only restaurant open in the hotel food court. Okay. So listen, I'm not buying into the marketing craze Ooh. for Popeye's versus Chick-fil-A. I'm staying neutral. I'm, I'm Switzerland in the chicken wars. Interesting. Okay. <laughs> well, and as someone who's, I'm born and raised from Texas. So we have a Chick-fil-A on basically every corner. It's like equivalent to churches on every corner. And so I grew up 
on the Chick-fil-A chicken sandwich Mm -hmm. being the only chicken sandwich. And I I stand by that. I'm sure Popeye's is delicious, but Chick-fil-A, that's like so cute. Perfect. You know? Wow. I think the Chick-fil-A sandwich is perfect. So it's like a loyalty thing. You won't even try the Popeye sandwich is what you're saying. I mean, I will. I will. But who wants to stand in line? True. But yeah, it's great marketing. Is, is the marketing is so good I, that I was in New York last week or earlier this week and I was walking around in Harlem, which is where I like to go clothes shopping sometimes. And there was a Popeye's there and I'm like, okay, let me just see what's going on. There's a line out the door and I just like kind of walking because I'm not going to wait in the line, but I just want to walk in and see what's up. There's signs everywhere that the sandwich is sold out. There's no sandwiches there, but the fact that people were still lined up out the door when they wouldn't be otherwise was testament to the marketing has worked so well that people are like, like loyalty battles. Even if the sandwich is gone, you know what? I'm just going to go in there and get something. Dude, it's all about the Instagram. Everyone's a picture true. sitting in Popeye's being like, look, I'm cool. This is the, uh, this is the new Tide Pod challenge, <laughs> you know, less dangerous. Oh gosh. Yeah. At least it doesn't kill people. Right. <laughs> okay. What about, uh, Pumpkin spice latte. Are either of you on on that? It's back, Sarah. This one's all you. It's here. <laughs> no, actually, I so I you know discovered Starbucks like everyone else, but I quickly uh, learned that I hated their coffee and <laughs> all of their drinks have like three grams of sugar in it. And I grew up on um, Dr Pepper and like sweet tea. So like if I'm you know, consuming a sugary drink. I want it to be worth it, right? I want it to be like a good old Dr. Pepper. I don't want like an over sugary, disgusting coffee drink <laughs> with whipped cream. Kudos. So no, man, we're we're boring, John. Kudos to you. That's great. I think that's why we got along so well. Listen, I'm going to say this and I don't think there's any way to say it and not sound pretentious. So I'm just going to embrace it and agree with Sarah. I think Starbucks coffee tastes like a combination of diarrhea and uh, garbage. It's so bad. So I generally make coffee at home and uh, enjoy it here. It's proof, though, that if you can build a business that saves people time, it doesn't matter if you have a garbage product. Like, I think why so many, many people go there is it's like consistent. And it's quick and you can order it on the app. You know, I'll do it every now and then because it's just, I know it's easy. I know it's going to be sitting there on the counter. You know, if I use their app, even though it's like not that satisfying, at least I have a coffee in my hand, you know? (laughs) Interesting. So I live in Seattle, which is Starbucks Uh world. I've never been into coffee though. So I don't, it's like, I can take it or leave it, but I prefer to leave it like, I don't really care about it. I don't hate it, but I just have no, I'm not the kind of person that's like, I need to wake up and have my coffee before you can talk to me or before I can function or anything like that. So I just think the whole pumpkin spice latte thing is ridiculous. There's no pumpkin in it. There is no pumpkin. It's just sugar. It's just like cinnamon and like a bunch of sugar. There's no people. I love pumpkin so much. No, you don't. If I gave you some pumpkin right now, you would not like the taste of the pumpkin. That's all I'm saying. I appreciate the memes. Yeah, I appreciate the meme culture that has emerged yes. out of like the basic fall white girl and her pumpkin spice latte. <laughs> the, I appreciate the humor in it. And some people just enjoy it, you know? Sure, sure. More power to them. The best meme I saw was yesterday. It was going to the whole basic white girl thing. It was two white women. They were holding their Popeye's chicken sandwich baggies. Like, hey, we just got these. And someone commented beneath them, I bet it's Starbucks pumpkin spice scones inside those bags. 
which had me rolling. Okay, so but the reason I want to bring that up, waiting in lines. Have you guys ever waited in line? This is where I'm probably dating myself and maybe John too. Like, I have waited in so many lines to buy like phones, game consoles, video game. Like, Mm. when's the last time you waited in line for a product? Or is there any product that you would wait in line for these days? Physically standing in a line for hours. I mean, I'm going back to the the iPhone days before there was like in-store pickup and that kind of stuff. I mean, that was like, okay, what time the day before are we going to go? Right. Going to go camp out for it. But since in-store pickup got great, I haven't, honestly, I haven't waited in that many lines for a crazy amount of stuff. Aside for TSA. Oh, man. Which, you know, there's no way around. Yes. Yeah. Actually, I need to do clear. I keep doing clear and then uh, was a TSA pre. If you get both of them, it's like golden. It's the magic combo. You will never wait again. But no, no is the answer. I, I haven't waited in line for anything. Interesting. Yeah, I don't think since I'm, it's crazy. I just turned 25 and I know in this context it's young, but I'm feeling very strange as the first birthday I had that I was like, <laughs> wait, is it all downhill from here? Um, but I've actually never waited in line for any piece of tech. I guess just because when all of the Apple craze stuff was happening, one, I was young, so I didn't have enough money to go and buy like an $800 phone. And then I think, yeah, I was on T-Mobile for the longest time. So I remember just being the loser who didn't even have the option to have an iPhone because they were, you know, like AT&T exclusive for so long. And so I I had my first iPhone, but it was like an iPhone 3G and it was a jailbroken one because that's when jailbreaking videos were huge. So being on T-Mobile, I would, you know, I bought one off eBay. And I like had a jawbroken one. And uh, those were like the good old days. Because I remember I had like a Game Boy simulator on my iPhone. Yeah. And, like Pokemon games and stuff. And yeah, the, the only other thing that I was obsessed with, but again, since I was young, I didn't have my own money to like go and buy the moment it came out, was the PSP. Like mm. that thing was so cool for some reason. Because I was all into the Game Boy stuff. Yeah. And I remember so clearly it was $350. And... I, the amount of babysitting that I did for that thing was insane. <laughs> and like the funnest story that I rarely tell, but like I grew up middle class, I grew up fine, but like my mom and dad were always like, oh, if you want something, you can like work to buy it. Yeah. Sure. Like buy a PSP, but we're not going to get it for you. It's like, okay, fair game. So I saved up for like a year. It's already been out for a year and I go to GameStop and what's it's like $361. And it cleans me dry. Literally, I was to the point where I was like getting out quarters out of my back <laughs> to pay for this thing. And I bought it and I was like, wait, I don't have a game. No. And I was like, I'm like, that cleaned me dry just to buy the console. And I was like, mom, can you please buy me a game? <laughs> She's such a gangster. She was literally like, well, I guess you have to babysit some more. Um, we can come back later. And I'm like, what? So I kid you not, I played on the PSP menus. No. <laughs> like with their demos for like two months before I oh could go and God. buy a game. <laughs> Your mom said no. That is hilarious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what was the first game you bought though? Yeah. When you got the money, Need what game did you buy? Ooh, okay. Need for Speed. Okay. I was obsessed with that game. And that was my first experience with online stuff because I wasn't allowed to play online Halo right. when I was young because they were scared of cuss words. <laughs> but yeah, Need for Speed, you know, because you could play people online. Sure. And it was like so fun and competitive. I was obsessed with PSP. I had like two games on it. PSP <laughs> was awesome. I remember thinking like UMDs are going to be the future. Like this is going to be everything. I bought movies on UMD. I mean, and then, you know, that, that didn't work out too well. No, it did not. It Man. didn't. 
But ESP. yeah, I mean, that screen and oh, mm-hmm. I love that thing. Man, I was all about Luminous on the PSP. I was playing that all day. It's like a Tetris. Oh. It was like a, yeah, it's like kind of like Tetris, but you know, it's different. But it was like one of those puzzle games where when I got my Game Boy, I got, <laughs> I'm so old that I got the Game Boy on launch day when I was in like elementary school. And it came with Tetris for free. And I was like, this is corny. Like, why would I want to play this? Same thing. Like, they didn't buy me any other games with it, but it had Tetris. And I was like, you know, I'm going to play something. I'm going to play Tetris. And like, yeah. I became like a Tetris master. Like, I could play the game. <laughs> I could play the game with my, like, my eyes closed. It, it was ridiculous. I love that. And so. Did you do Atari Lynx? No, because that was more expensive. Lynx was amazing. Are you serious? <laughs> In color. Well, there was the Game Gear, too. Game Gear, color, Sonic the Hedgehog. Game Gear Nomad. Battery lasts like an idea. hour. These words that you're saying. <laughs> what are these things, guys? Game Gear. Okay, so there was a Game Boy. We we all know the Game Boy, right? That was Nintendo's console. Game Gear was Sega. So this was when the Nintendo, Super Nintendo, and the Sega Genesis were battling for supremacy. And Nintendo had the portable Game Boy, and Sega came out with the Game Gear, which was full color, 16-bit color. So the Game Boy was like, you know, black and white and green, and then... The Game Gear had full color, Sonic the Hedgehog, but it was super bulky and the batteries lasted like 90 minutes or something. It was it was they terrible. Were horrible. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That is our stories from waiting in lines and gaming from our childhood. Speaking of gaming, I wanted to bring up I've been gaming recently on this 8K Samsung Q900 <laughs> TV. I got this 82 inch TV. It's 8K. Obviously, there's you no game console. Inch? I want Why? 82. Like it's like if you're gonna go big, you're gonna you go big. You have to. You just I have to sometimes. 65 inch. Okay, so you've got the 8K too, right? Yeah, so, yeah. John, did you jump on this yet? Because I know you were like envious. I didn't. I'm still. I guess I'm slumming it with the uh, my 75 uh, Sony LCD. Anyway, is that, is that 4K? <laughs> it is 4K. Oh, jeez, man. I only have 4Ks. Wow. <laughs> so gaming. On these 8K TVs, like the way that they upscale, like I was shocked because in the past, when you hear the word upscaling, that's not a, doesn't give you positive feelings. Like usually upscaling makes things look not that good. And now we've got Samsung with this upscaling technology that actually improves pretty much anything that I throw at it. But gaming in particular Mm -hmm. is fantastic. Sarah, do you game on like TVs? I really don't anymore. I used to game a lot in middle elementary school middle school high school but the moment i went to college and like life happened i was like oh there's no time (laughs) Mm, you grew up yeah but i mean i had to switch and stuff i legitimately love playing like smash bros and all of that stuff occasionally which i still need to plug into the aktv i did the thing where i put it in my office which i'm wondering if that was a mistake because i watch most of my stuff at home right and i like do some of my gaming at home i just have like a 4k vizio tv it's like a 65 inch but what's so interesting is i didn't realize how big of a deal the i guess i don't want to drag vizio because they gave me this tv for free (laughs) But, you know, they're typically more on the budget, like a $1,000, yeah. 65-inch, 4K, you know, the specs are great. But to the point, like when it comes to the behind the scenes and the software and what Sam does with upscaling is so impressive. And it's so easy to just like look at an image and be like, okay, I understand why the TV was $9,000, right. why the TV was $5,000. And especially when I saw it at CES with the, you know, 
the new 8K QLED TVs and I saw them upscaling standard definition stuff yes. to an 8K TV. I was like, oh, okay, this is interesting because I would have never expected an SC image to be able to look like that on an 8K TV. It, it was crazy. So yeah, it, it's fun to um, mess around with and, and watch. And I, I definitely, it's annoying because I had to plug in my PC in order to like truly put out 8k content because right. the youtube app doesn't do anything beyond 4k yeah. so it was cool for a moment to see true 8k but yeah at this point you have to have upscaling tech to like enjoy it now because <laughs> right. like who is streaming in 8k no right, one right right welcome back to geared up brought to you by national car rental i'm andrew edwards and it is now time for the national car rental story of the week as you know geared up is sponsored by national car rental and if you don't know i also do a show with national car rental on youtube called technically speaking where i bring you the latest my picks for the best tech for business travel whether you're business traveling or even whether you're going for leisure travel there's a lot of tech out there that can make your travel more efficient or even more fun you can check these episodes out at the nationalcar.com control center or go to youtube.com slash national car rent the latest tech puts you in the driver's seat national car rentals emerald club will keep you there welcome back to geared up i'm andrew edwards i am john rettinger and we have our special guest this week sarah dici on the line as well guys apple sent out invitations yesterday to their upcoming event by innovation only their annual september event Sarah, I know you got one as well. John, did you get one? Are you coming? At one point, I will tell the story of uh, the breakup that I had with uh, <laughs> Apple PR about a, almost exactly a year ago. Interesting. Okay, start with that story. Let's say Apple, I w- I've been at almost every keynote Apple's had over the past six years. Okay. I'll say diplomatically. They disagreed with some of my coverage and they disagreed with how I reacted to their criticism of my coverage. Mm. and. It would create an impasse that I'm hoping can be rectified. Okay. But I took some umbrage with not being able to have control over my own voice. And uh, they had different opinions. I think it's it's probably the fairest way that I can say it. What year was that? What phone? What cover? It was the 10R. It was, uh, it it all stemmed from my Oh, I remember. You had a bad experience with the 10R. I, it was it was not the most pleasant experience, uh, and they were phones that I had purchased myself. Uh, they weren't review units or PR units, and I went as far as to purchase two separate ones. Save me because it's an isolated, you know, bad batch that I had, and they didn't feel that I gave them a fair shot to rectify the issues. Which there's a point to be made to that. They I, I could have given them more time to try and troubleshoot the problems. On the other hand, I had review to put out from devices that I purchased as a consumer. Yes, which is different. That's different. You bought something would, would, on your own, was not provided to you by the company. Correct. And I think the, the impasse was they felt that they were sort of doing, doing us a solid by inviting us to the events and that we should have returned the solid by giving them the chance to try to fix issues. And I, we had let them know about the problems before the video went up. And it, it created, at the time, an impassable barrier for, for what we needed to do. And we have not been invited to an event since. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. It's it's crazy because it's like we're we're so used to always being invited to everything, and Apple mm-hmm. is definitely the the pickiest. Yes. And it's so funny because people like the most 
I get about being paid by another company, it's always Apple. And I'm like, guys, Apple doesn't pay anyone. All of these right. events, we literally pay for the plane ticket, we pay for the hotel, and they send us the invite like 10 days in advance. Like that shit <laughs> right. is not cheap. <laughs> so it's like the complete opposite. They're like the one one company that doesn't pay anything. But yeah, it's doesn't definitely... Give you're right, though. It's definitely one of those things where I feel like if they feel like you are, um, if you're honored enough to be invited, you know, I'm sure there's a certain expectation for sure. Yeah, that was very diplomatically said as well. And, I'm, you know, I'm, 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 we're working to try to sort of mend those fences, you know, with them. But, you know, Apple's PR, I think, is notoriously different, let's say, than, than any other company's uh, PR. And it's worked out well for them. So I don't, I don't blame them for, for, for doing what they're doing. We can all be friends, guys. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Apple does have an event coming up September 10th, where obviously they're going to be announcing their new line of iPhones. I expect there to be a new line of Apple watches as well. We talked a little bit last week about John's dream iPhone, which is absolutely not what we're going to be seeing next week. So let's talk about and fill people in on what we do expect to see to see happening next week you guys have any thoughts any predictions i think at this point it's it's relatively well known i imagine we'll probably have a few surprises uh the front of the phones will look identical to what we have right now the back will look like apple took an apple watch turned it upside down and stuck it to the back <laughs> with uh three camera sensors what's kind of unknown now is if one will be a time of flight if it's just going to be uh you know wide and ultra wide or if there's going to be a right. third sensor there What's interesting is it looks like the naming scheme is going to be changing. You know, Apple yes. put a year of marketing into the 10R. Right. And then that R nomenclature appears to be going away. And then that'll be replaced by just the iPhone or iPhone 11. And yep. then it'll be the iPhone 11 Pro and iPhone 11 Pro Max, I yes. believe, for the larger, the larger screen size. But aside from the, the processor improvements, it looks like it's mostly going to be on the camera side and bilateral wireless charging. Seems to be the two... The two big things that you can expect. I think as far as the name goes, I think it's a smart move. I feel like last year they had the iPhone or current year, iPhone XS and XS Max. And those were promoted as this is the regular phone. And then they had the XR, which was kind of seen by most as this is the lesser phone. So you can get the regular phone or you can get the lesser phone. And I think swapping it to where... The 10R, you know, successor is the regular phone. This is iPhone 11. This is the regular phone. Anybody can get this. And then there's a premium phone makes it just it's just a little it's a little thing in people's head that makes them feel like they're getting more for their money instead of getting less for their money. Psychologically, I'm not Tim Cook. I'm not we never presumed to tell Apple how to do their business. Essentially, he's doing a great job for the shareholders from the stock price standpoint. I think Apple's doing their iPhone lineup in reverse. Personally. When you obviously Apple's not giving sales numbers anymore, but the 10R yeah. was their number one seller, followed sure. by the 10, yeah, followed by the 10S Max, yeah, incredible. And it seems like the market is going towards that more 10R route. So it would seem that offering two options for that that R level and then one premium phone, at least I would assume, would make sense. It also would create differences, generational differences, so more potential reason to upgrade year over year. Whereas from the the 10s the 10s Max to the whatever 11 Pro and Pro Max, yeah. there's very little reason to upgrade, at least from what from what's leaked out. Well, there's so many like phones have become, to be honest, like very boring. I think people have reached the point where they're fine with having the same phone for three or four mm-hmm. years, and people are tired buying 
$1,000 phones. I understand why that price tag is there because, look, a lot of people are using their phone in place of a laptop. You know, I yep. get it. It's like a lot of people's lives revolve around it. But when the 10R came out and it was around, you know, was it 750 that's the price tag? Yeah, 750 like starting price. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's like, oh, you could personalize the color. Amazing. It has a better battery life. Amazing. It is in between the small and the big phone. I am over big phones. Like the Note 10 amazing phone way too huge for me or the plus you know the 10s max i used it for a little bit way too big so the fact that the 10r came in and i'm a person who takes so many pictures and video but literally i overlooked it only having one camera because i got an extra hour and a half of battery life out of it and the lcd stream or liquid retina display whatever they call it i mean it's not you, you can tell a little bit, it's a little bit more fuzzy, you know, compared to the OLED, but you get over that in two days. And if you're not a tech reviewer, you don't even right. notice it. So it's one of those things where I'm like, oh, this is what I want. Like I've accepted the state of where phones are at. I don't need a lot of extra fluff. I don't need it to be a DSLR. I need my battery to last all day. I need right. to be able to hold it in my hand and put it in my pocket. I think there's certain things that like companies need to start thinking of, like what we actually want. Yeah, I agree. And your point on the LCD versus OLED, like unless you're looking at the phones next to each other, which is very rarely ever going to happen. Yeah. Like the, L- the LCD display looks fine. Like it looks and every every phone is some version of good. Now you have to like struggle to find a cra- a crappy phone. Even the most Absolutely. budget is is a flagship from two years ago. Yep. That's why I've limited coverage. What do you think of the feature? OK, what I'm trying to say. Uh, so you mentioned phones are getting boring. I don't know which one of you said that. I think it was Sarah. Phones are getting boring. What do you have to say to, because I hear this a lot, and I feel like I don't know that the phones these days need to be exciting so much as they need to be really good tools. So like if I'm going to the store to buy a hammer, I'm not looking at like which hammer is the most exciting. I want the one that's going to work the best. And I've kind of shifted my mindset to that. Like it's a tool coolness is always fun like coolness is great but ultimately i want the best tool for the job and i want you to optimize for use cases rather than gimmicks like i don't need for example not to call out samsung i don't need to be able to point my phone at somebody and draw on their face and then have the drawings follow them around hey it's cool i'm not saying it's not cool but i'm saying (laughs) it's the kind of thing that i'll use on day one day two and maybe day three and then maybe in my Samsung Note 10 90 days later video. But other than that, I'm probably not going to open that ever again. Yeah. It's one of those things where it, it's how these phones like go beyond just being a phone too. I think one of the most intriguing things about Samsung is like the Samsung DeX, where we yeah. thought initially where you had to have a hub in order to connect it to a monitor. Yep. But now you can literally just plug your phone into a monitor via USB-C and have a fully functioning desktop. You can write Google Docs, you can log into your email, and you can do basically everything that people use laptops for if they're not creators. Like I could totally yeah. see if you edit video, like you're not going to replace your laptop or your computer with your Samsung Note 10. I understand that. But I think that's what we're kind of looking for in, in terms of the future because like everyone's doing everything the same. Like at this point, you know, just like you said, John, like a flagship phone from two years ago is going to be the most affordable option and pretty much do everything that phones do yeah. nowadays. So it's, yeah, it's like how, how are phones going to fit 
into our lives beyond just being phones? And will they? Like, do they have a place? That's why I find the whole laptop sector to be so interesting right now because it literally still is the Wild West. Like, MacBooks have just are just terrible. If you don't, if you're not like, <laughs> I'm sorry, like if you're if you're not like a Final Cut user and you're not in the ecosystem and yada yada yada, they just it they don't make a ton of sense for the price tag that they're at. I'm sure. We're going to see the 16-inch MacBook very soon, and I'll be yep. very interested to see that. Maybe I'll have an SD card slot, and I'll give it a chance. But laptops right now on the Windows side, they are just like going ham. Yes. They are doing the craziest stuff, and guess what? Some of it isn't gimmicky. And I think that's what's really exciting is when people and companies are actually trying new things, and they're actually like they're making us think about our creative workflow differently, which is crazy. Like. Exciting. Yeah, isn't it interesting though that you know, I agree with you on like recent MacBooks? Like, I, I am a, a Final Cut Pro 10 user, so I have to. That's where I have to live. Yeah. But it's interesting to me seeing all the things that are happening on the Windows side, but yet in the consumer space, Apple still reigns. Apple, like obviously, there's more Windows PCs sold than Macs because you have all the PC manufacturers versus one company that makes Macs. But on the individual level, um, I was looking at a stat the other day. It was 72% of college students, when picking that, a computer, want a laptop from Apple. Yeah, that's status. I 100%. That's where their marketing comes into play. That's where having that Apple symbol is. Status. You go to college if you can, if you can walk in the door and have that MacBook and it works blue bubbles and text people right. through your computer. Nothing, right? <laughs> like that's like what people want. Um, but I think what we're going to start to see is like the um, I don't know maybe the professional market. I think is definitely more. I, I honestly, when it comes to like the thousand dollar range of laptops, yeah. I think that really comes down to what you prefer. I don't care. Pick a MacBook up. Pick like a Dell XPS. Um, that really just comes down to preferences. But if you're like on the higher end and you need performance mm-hmm. and you're not stuck in the Apple ecosystem with Final Cut, like there are so many options out there for cheaper, for more power. So yeah, in terms of the consumer, I think it's the cool thing to have. It's the cool thing. You know, everyone's writing these articles about the Blue Bubble Society. Right. If you're the loser in high school in the group chat that makes the entire group chat green, you're out. They're going to kick you out and you're not going to have any friends anymore. Like that, it's so strange because it's not like you're poor. Like the Samsung Note 10 is a $1,000 phone and you're still going to have green bubbles. So (laughs) it's not like a class issue. It's literally like Apple has created this. You know, John, I I think you've made a video about this recently. It's just like the wall garden, this ecosystem that it's status, it's coolness, it's very small things that make, honestly, the Apple um, experience enjoyable for everyday tasks, which the average consumer isn't going to be editing a 4K computer on their MacBook. Yeah. No, I think that was perfectly, I mean, perfectly said. You look at the window side, you've got laptops. I mean, Sarah, you you were, you had a video on this with with dual screens on laptops that are beyond gimmicks. We were filming a video in Microsoft the other day and we were looking for, we called it the Sarah Dietschy laptop. And we were were looking for it there and to see this thing. I mean, but there's, there is a lot more variance and customization options on the PC side. And Microsoft announced their October event for the revamped Surface laptops. I mean, I think those are, those are perfect. I mean, those are close to perfect functional machines. And once they finally add oddly USB-C on it, that's going to be a really intriguing option. And I think that this is all leading up to an Apple fatigue. 
I, I really, I, I think that it's it's really leading up to I'm I'm sick of it. I'm I'm sick of having to keep buying a new phone every year. I'm, I'm sick of Apple slowing my two year old phone down. I'm sick of spending fifteen hundred dollars to get a you know the powerful laptop so I can edit in Final Cut. Uh, I do I do think that there's an Apple reckoning coming. It may be smaller than you know, then even is a, a blip on the radar. But I do think there's going to be a perception shift away from Apple as the cool thing in the next four to five years. Yeah, hopefully, I mean, they're so smart for doing the iMessage thing. It, it led me when I was messing around with the Note 10, I like you know, moved over my SIM card for a little bit. And I was testing out the, uh, you know, Microsoft is trying. They have a phone yeah. app in the Microsoft store. You can download it. You can text from your computer. Your phone doesn't have to be plugged in. It'll still update mm-hmm. exactly like iMessage. The moment that I tried to send one two megabyte screenshot from my computer to another phone, it like, I was like, okay, this is enough to never touch a Samsung phone. Like mm-hmm. these phones are amazing. It touch it in regards to use it in my everyday life. Yeah. But especially for people, it's not just like creative people who are sending pictures and videos all the time but think about that demographic that you were saying the college kids they need to send memes think about the parents they need to send their 20 pictures of their kid to their grandma over airdrop Mm -hmm. and they need to send the 50 pictures that they took so it's it's interesting how the small thing and it's like you you with google like get on board with this thing, but then it's like there's so many elements to it I mean, I didn't know this. Fun fact, maybe you guys knew this, but the reason why iPhone actually went only with AT&T in the beginning is because AT&T was the only company that would allow them not to use their SMS to be able to have the iMessage yeah. wall garden, but then also they wouldn't put, you know, slap their brand on the back of the iPhone. So it took, I think, a lot of guts in the beginning to set that up. And I think that's what will pe- people will stay for. I mean goodness i message people always make fun of it just download whatsapp no people no are going to download another app just to talk to people when everyone is used to that you know that messages app that's on your phone naturally yeah i think it speaks to the failure of google uh to establish a messaging platform or at least all the messaging platforms they've they've abandoned you know allo seemed like a step in the right direction um and i think it's a failure on facebook side too you know, Facebook being the sort of as the reputation recently is kind of the, the creepy, creepy uncle, <laughs> so to speak. You know, Facebook yes. Messenger is is another option that people can use, but they're opting not to. The fact that there isn't, you know, that RCS isn't standard across every carrier and, and manufacturer, the fact that Google doesn't have, seems to be wandering on aimlessly in the messaging world. It leads to a degraded experience. But I do think once a solution is found, the hope is at least there'll be some sort of of shift away or at least a social shift away from the acceptability of, of not having, you know, that, that colored bubble. But the I kicker, the kicker, which is so crazy though, is even if RCS becomes accept, uh, accepted by all Android phones is the blue bubble iMessage thing will still be a thing because RCS yep. isn't yeah. encrypted end to end iMessages. There's no yeah. way Apple would open that up to Android phones. So it'll still be maybe Android to Android users will be able to send pictures. Yeah. But it's weird that we're still going to just always have this divide. So and certainly Apple would never do this. But Sarah, what would you pay per month or one-time fee for iMessage on Android? Ooh. I, I mean, honestly, I feel like they could get people in that $10 a month. I know that sounds crazy expensive, but I think people are so used to that $8, $10 a month for another streaming service that they would 100% pay that. 
to yeah. have the iMessage app on their phone. How crazy is that? I think that, I would, I think I'd pay nine ninety nine more for iMessage on Android than I would for Apple TV Plus. Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. You don't know what Apple TV well, Plus is going to have five yet. Yeah. <laughs> There might be five great shows. You know, the thing with Google, though, I can't place it all on Google because the thing is, here's the difference between everybody always argues open source and Apple is closed, right? Google makes an open source operating system. They cannot demand that HTC and Samsung and Huawei and all the other ones put their messaging app on the phone. It's an open source platform. They can get a license from Google to use Google's chat service if they want and to pre-install it if they want, but they do not have to. The second they start demanding, making those types of demands, it is no longer just an open source platform. And so that's the problem. They can make all the messaging apps that they want. Facebook makes a messaging app, but it doesn't ship by default and certainly doesn't default as your, your main messaging option when you turn your phone on like when you buy a brand new phone so it's it's difficult when you look at what apple can do we make the phone we make the chat app it's built in no one else is using ios ios is not open source so therefore anyone that uses ios is going to have the exact same experience which you just can't get on the android side well it's more of t-mobile at&t sprint it's those people who are like stuck to the dinosaur sms though like yeah, yeah. true i don't know i feel like it's less google and more of these companies just being stingy as hell like sms you can literally like is it even like a megabyte like i don't think you're even i think you're allowed maybe it's like under that right yeah it's and then the mms it's just there's no it still blows my mind that that is the standard coming from the carriers i feel like yeah google what makes it great it's open whatever but I, yeah, I think it's always easy to make the characters the evil ones, but in this case, I think they are the stingy ones. So, I agree, but Android, I do think there's a bit of a flaw in that logic. So yes, Android is theoretically open source, but Google was the one that made those rules, and Google can change those rules, and Google could heavy-handedly force OEMs to make changes. I mean, no one's buying a Tizen-powered Samsung phone or Horizon-powered sure. Huawei phone. You know, they have the capability to change and alter those rules to make something that becomes a standard. And if you decide that you want to use Android, then this is what you have to have. Uh, and they've opted not to do that in the name of open source. And I, I can appreciate the, the impetus behind that. But I do think in some ways, the argument could be made. It's also to the detriment of the consumer, you know, using un- unsecured messaging. Oh, for sure. You know, yes. things like that are, you know, potentially harmful where something like iMessage, you know, it is encrypted. Even Allo was not encrypted unless you set up a private chat. Right. Yeah. And just because there's a standard messaging app doesn't mean that the rest of it is open source. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, yeah. But it's weird. Let's talk about Apple Watch. That's one of the other yes. expected announcements for the for the upcoming event. Are you guys are you guys big on the Apple Watch? I love mine. I've, I've had one. I've upgraded ever since the first one came out. It's probably one of my favorite devices that I own. Yeah, I, I love me some Apple Watch. Yeah, I it's weird. I don't like I'll wear watches every now and then because I'm I feel like on the computer and editing. I it's like one thing for some reason I just don't care that much about. My biggest purchase in terms of watches was when they came out with the ceramic white. I'm such like I love yes. all things white. So when they came out with that, I bought it because I was like, oh my god, I'm obsessed with it. It's so beautiful. It's beautiful. Of course, if you're gonna if you're gonna spend a thousand dollars on a watch, you're probably gonna wear it a lot. But yeah, for some reason, it's like the one thing that I just don't I don't care about tracking 
where I am foot and I don't work out a lot, you know? So <laughs> it's like <laughs> the one thing I guess I, it's handy to have like navigation on your wrist. I'll use watches for that when I'm like riding around New York. Yep. But yeah, I, I live a more notificationless life now. Like I don't have notifications turned on my phone. The only notifications I have are messages and phone calls. So it's almost like the more, the less pinging I can have on my body, the, the happier I, I am. But the Apple Watch, hands down, if you're an iOS user, yeah, Apple Watch is like the the best option, hands down. Obviously, it's amazing. I, I, have, I have a soft on a spot. Daily. Yeah. I have a soft spot for for the Apple Watch, just on like a personal note. my I have heart disease in my family. My, my dad, when I was younger, had a triple bypass surgery. And he's constantly at risk for, for AFib. So we got him one of the Series 4 watches. And he sleeps with it at night. And it's monitoring his heart. And he's testing if he's in AFib, you know, four or five times a day. So something like that, where like a feature that, you know, we probably don't care about. You know, how often am I testing my heart? Or, I mean, how often are you guys even right. testing it? So you try it once and you do it and you forget about it. But a feature like that, that really shifted what he can do and his life has been an amazing use of technology. And the fact that it's on his on his wrist is even more astonishing. I love that. That's cool. And like that's I always say, like, I'm a fan of cool tech. I don't I don't hate on tech for being cool. I want to clarify that from earlier. I don't want all tech to be boring, but I'm a really big fan when we can use technology to actually improve life. Like make life better for everyone, not for just the nerds or not for just the average consumer, but a technology that can legitimately give you potentially not just better quality of life, but actually save your life just by yeah. wearing it. Kudos to Apple mm-hmm. on their on their health initiatives. I have no clue what to expect from the next Apple Watch. I know we've seen some leaks about materials. So like uh, ceramic will be coming back, which is fantastic. Titanium. I might have to get well. another one. Yeah. If ceramic yeah, oh, comes I'm, back, honestly, I might go back because I was so a mad. weird period. Yeah. Where I didn't have because it was the first iteration. It wasn't the uh, LTE version. So I wasn't mm. able to like wear it and leave my phone behind. So Right. That's kind of where that weird gap happened for me, where the past like year and a half, two, I'm like, I spent $1,000 on a watch and now it's kind of irrelevant. So it's probably going to make <laughs> it a little, a little bit harder to spend that money again on one. But I am, I am curious for sure. I'm all about the ceramic as well, but I haven't seen any, I don't know if you guys have like any leaks as far as like what new features sleep will the Apple watch have? Like, it seems like the Apple watch is almost more protected than the iPhone as far as, it, as far as leaks are concerned. Yeah, sleep sleep tracking has been the the biggest one that we've heard. That there'll be a way to sort of track track sleep and sleep patterns, and then like the Breathe app can sort of help direct you for for better sleep. But that's really been it. Does that mean that we're gonna have to wear our Apple Watch twenty four seven all the time, and really never, <laughs> never have an opportunity to charge it because you might miss you can't out take it off. on something important <laughs> happening. Shower tracking, all that built in. Exactly. That's what that sounds like. See, that's when it starts to freak me out a little bit, though. I'm like, I don't want something on my body that's like emitting stuff on E24-7. <laughs> True. And then some people were asking about um, if we expected to see new iPad Pros and Macs. And I, my response was, those are always, um, with very, very rare, very rare occasions, it's not this way, but those are pretty much always October devices. Mm-hmm. Usually there's a, another event in October where they'll show off new Macs and new iPads. This year, we should be seeing um, a new MacBook Pro. We should be seeing updates to the iMac Pro. We should probably get a date for the new Mac Pro. 
And then we'll be seeing new iPad Pros, which the big rumor is they will have the same triple camera system as the new iPhone Pro line will have. Now, Sarah, I love you those were just people talking. who take pictures with their iPad. They like go About- to an event. They bring their freaking iPads. Like, come on. <laughs> hey, I'm the parent of a 15-year-old, so I've gone to many school concerts and plays and, you know, what, and all you see, iPads go up. I'm like, how are you? You Dude, all have phones in your pockets. What's going on? <laughs> box the view. Yeah, use your phone. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't really block the view because they hold it up and I get a better view. Oh, okay, there it is. I can oh, just yeah. watch the screen. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> so, Sarah, you were talking earlier about your, you know, the value of a MacBook Pro, and you mentioned a 16 inch version might interest you. And you mentioned the SD card. What else would it take? I'm assuming the keyboard needs to be updated as well. What else would it take to get you to pay specific attention to a new MacBook Pro? I will never pay for a MacBook again. That will get me interested to review it, but not buy it until. And what's so unfortunate is like, Apple taking away ports isn't something they'll go back on. So we will never again see an HDMI, a USB-A, maybe an SD card slot, but everything that we're Mm. used to being in a laptop and it's convenient in a laptop, we will probably never see in a MacBook. So maybe in seven years when USB-C is everything, but even then like the entire um, standard of HDMI isn't going to change USB. The entire like, there's certain standards where I admire their tenacity to try to lead the charge and like change the standard to USB-C. Thunderbolt 3 is mm-hmm. amazing. But it's one of those things that it's like you're just being annoying by taking away the port. So it's not helping anyone when you're making a pro device and you take away all that stuff. And I'm paying $3,000 to $4,000 for a pro machine. That literally makes no sense. My keys being sticky. Makes no sense. My keys were breaking. No, like, not kudos yeah. again for them like rolling out that program. It's great. But yeah, I just think, you know, in terms of value, you're not getting what you're paying for. I'm not like, I'm an iPhone user. I legit just bought a nice Gen i9 iMac for my apartment. And so it's not about hating Apple just to hate Apple because I know there's a lot of tech people out there who enjoy sure. enjoy that. But it's just this like awkward MacBook Pro line, which is just not making any sense. doesn't make sense to me. I don't understand. <laughs> So if you were to go back to a MacBook Pro, it would be a MacBook Pro that would be similar to John's dream iPhone 11, which basically means it would be features that we're probably not ever going to see. In order for you to go back to it, it's a machine that they're not going to make anymore. Yeah. Here, I'll tell you what I love and tell me if Apple would ever even consider this. I would love a 4K touch display. I want my laptop to have a touch display. Will they ever do that? No. I would like my laptop to have HDMI, USB-A, and an SD card slot. Will they ever do that? No. I would like some decent travel on the keyboard. Will they ever do hmm. that? Maybe. And I would also I like my laptop to be a little bit thicker just for the case of having better battery life and cooling so an i9 can fit in there and can make sense in, in the context of a laptop. They will never do that because they want sexy, they want skinny, they want that to be a selling point. Not, hey, we can cool your processor. So Okay. Okay, John, where are you at with the uh, new MacBook Pro? I mean, I think Apple has made more mistakes in their laptop line than they have with almost any other product line over the past sure. three to four years. I mean, to the point where airlines, yeah, some, some airlines now are saying you cannot fly with a MacBook Pro. In yeah. your luggage, in your luggage. Yeah, is amazing uh, where the, the missteps have been. So, I mean, I would like to see Apple embrace the pro market again. And I, I think what Sarah said was very apropos that 
those things are never coming back. And if those are things you need for your workflow, you either need to remember to bring your dongles and, and don't forget them, or you need to learn to use Premiere. I mean, it's, it's sort of really what it what it boils down to. So, I mean, if you're going to switch to Mac, you never switch to PC, you got to learn how to use Premiere. Like that's, yeah. Right. So I think the, the 16 might be Apple's answer for as much as Apple will do it. You know, if, if you get if you get the i9, you know, that that's probably as pro as they're going to get with a, a pro price tag. So listen, I'm, I'm sitting here doing this and recording this on a 13-inch MacBook Pro. I still prefer Mac OS, the workflow, uh, to Windows, mm-hmm. but I'm a, I'm a Final Cut user. So I'm sort of very well ensconced in that. But I, I think there's a big opportunity for them to come back strong and alter perceptions on what laptops could and should be in the way that the PowerBooks did back in the day. Do you think that the new 16-inch MacBook Pro is going to be the, for lack of a better term, the laptop version of the Mac Pro? Or do you Uh, think it's going to replace the 15-inch model in the lineup? I think they're just going to try to make the, yeah, 15-inch good again. Like, I think they're realizing that their pro-level specced out $4,000 15-inch MacBook Pro is bad. So I feel like this is like them fixing that, hopefully. Redoing, I mean, resetting. Yeah, I will say out of all the things that they've done terribly, the one thing that I really admire on MacBooks is the trackpad. They, I mean, yeah. I have yeah. never had a better trackpad experience in my entire life. And I think that's enough reason for maybe photographers, people who don't have the luxury of using a mouse a lot. I think that reason alone is why MacBooks make sense to some creators. That is, their trackpads are so good to the point where it confuses me that how can no Windows laptop after all these years come close to that experience? Like, what is it about the trackpad that Apple has locked down? That no one else can replicate. I mean, even with you, sorry, e- no, go ahead, sir. I was just saying, I think it's just, it's because they've that like patented secret sauce that no one else can touch because they probably spent 10 years trying to figure it out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a vertical integration too. I mean, they're controlling the drivers that are in it, even with like Windows, you know, the trackpad precision drivers on, on the surface line, like they're really good. They're really good, but they're not quite there. It's like the vibration motor on, on iPhone versus Android. And even the best one, right. like in the Note 10, still feels like an iPhone from four years ago. And like, that's a small nuance point most people won't even care about. But if you're sort of noticing those things, you can appreciate sort of where mm-hmm. some of Apple's strengths are. Mac Pro. Either of you guys nope. going Mac Pro? Nope. <laughs> nope. Nope. I no like Sarah, Sarah's answer. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that is very no. clearly for like the Netflix, Marvel, Disney, Pixar studios who have unlimited budget and need people sure. to just churn through stuff without having to worry about replacing a graphics card or a, you know, whatever. But I think, I think it was smart for Apple to like go that, you know, with the price tag and the capabilities of it to go so beyond that, like $3,000, $4,000 market to where you can build such a, not even build, go to origin, main gear, whatever. You can buy a $2,000 desktop PC that like crushes for anything you would have to do to have like a small agency, a YouTube channel, anything. So I think in that respect, they're smart to not like appeal to that $2,000 to $4,000 market to where it's already, mm-hmm. you already have so many options. Or if you're a Mac user, you just buy an iMac. So they're right. smart to just might as well, yeah, you might as well just like knock it out of the park and, you know, build a $10,000, $15,000 Mac Pro. 
Yeah, I agree. It's like a Halo car. It's like people aren't going into Acura to buy an NDX. You know, they're going to buy like a TL, or, but they're, you know, they're there to look at the flagship and the Halos. It gets people in the door. <laughs> I think people will be very interested to see the Mac Pro and then like leave with an iMac Pro or an iMac. <laughs> sure. And then iPad Pros. Are you guys into, I love the I- iPad Pro or at least the current generation one. It goes everywhere with me. It, I can't imagine why the iPad Pro feels like the fastest machine Apple makes when I'm sitting in front of, I'm sitting in front of an iMac Pro and this thing feels slower sometimes at how much, like 8,000 bucks or whatever compared to my, you know, thousand dollar iPad Pro. It's just fly, like, it's, it's just always on point, smooth, yeah. everything. The iPad Pro seems like the perfect device for most people. Are you excited about uh, iPad Pro new ones with a triple camera? Me personally. It's weird. I bought whenever they came out with like the normal iPad at the like three twenty nine price tag. I was yep. like, oh yeah, I'll just buy an iPad, see what's up in that in that realm because I hadn't used one since my college days when I was writing notes. And still today, like I gave it to my Illustrator boyfriend who uses it more than ever in Procreate, so it's great for his workflow. But I've just found that it it always falls short of what I need it to do, and then. I understand it's powerful and for certain workflows and illustration and if you just need to crush some email. But at the same time, in nine times out of 10, I just rather have my laptop with me. It's either like my iPhone or my laptop. Like I can crush emails on my iPhone. And then if I need to edit anything, if I need to edit pictures, I have my laptop there. But I think it does fit a good uh, market of people to where you don't need a laptop. If you don't need to travel with a laptop, I feel like the iPad Pro makes a ton of sense. And maybe I'm in the minority. I love my iPad Pro. I love, that's probably my favorite piece of tech that I use every day. And I don't do much, I don't do anything really crazy on it, but I, I absolutely love the design of it. I think it's the most perfect design Apple's ever made. And as critical as I am of Apple, uh, I think the iPad Pro for what it's designed to do is close to perfect. Yeah. I agree. The form factor, I just think it, it's one of those things where when we were talking earlier about like exciting tech, I feel like whenever I take out my iPad Pro, like I have this little feel like little butterflies in my stomach for a second. Like, here we go. We meet again. I can't. I, yeah, I will pick up an iPad Pro if it ever folds. I'm stoked. I think it's, it has nothing to do with the iPad, mm. but just like tablets in general. I just don't care yes. about tablets. But the moment, because I travel a lot. So having a tablet to watch videos or Netflix is a much more enjoyable experience, right? But it's always room. It's like packing the tablet and the laptop, which gets kind of annoying. So the moment it can fold down to like a phone size and I can always stuff it in my purse or my uh, backpack, that is when I'm like back on board. But I'm sure we'll see like Samsung or um, you know, Lenovo, I think came out with something like that. But that's, it's this weird market of people where like, we just want to watch stuff in your screen. <laughs> that's like the only reason why I want a tablet. I think foldables as far as tablets make way more sense compared to foldables for phones. I feel like a foldable tablet can apply to just about anybody, whereas a yeah. foldable phone really does feel like a little bit of a gimmick. I know John loves Don't talk loves don't talk bad about my fold. Galaxy Fold. Hey. <laughs> we both love the fold. Yeah. I remember you, yeah. The rumors that that's going to be announced next week. They're yep. going to I think they're saying they're going to put it out next week. We'll see. But um a foldable iPad If it folds out and gives you the same form factor as you have today, incredible. Yeah. I think doesn't doesn't Apple like file a patent or something? Or was that just like a Twitter thing? I I don't doubt. Yeah. I don't doubt that they'll go down that route eventually. I think that's the one gimmick that they might give into. Please. The last thing I expect Apple to talk about at the event coming up is a full reveal 
of their services. So up to now, we know Apple TV Plus is coming. We know Apple Arcade is coming. We do not know when they're coming. We don't know how much they're going to cost. And I feel like, you know, the September event for them, this is their big one every year. There's no bigger event in Apple's calendar than what they announced in September. And so since all eyes are going to be on Apple and Apple is all in on services, this has to be the place where they announce pricing and availability. And last week when we talked about it, John, you didn't seem too excited about Apple TV Plus at all or Apple Arcade. It sounds like their services are kind of a miss for you. Yeah, so I mean, I get Apple Arcade. I'm just not the demographic for it. I don't play that many games yeah. on my phone. People who want to play all the games and just take a microtransactions, I can totally wrap my head around Apple Arcade. Apple TV Plus, especially when you compare it to Disney Plus for $6.99, and granted Apple hasn't officially unveiled the alleged $9.99 price point, is ridiculous. Right. They have no library of content to fall back on. They've got five shows, and once you've binged those five shows, what else is there for your up to 10 bucks a month? Yeah, I can see zero reason to subscribe to another subscription service, let alone one that doesn't have already sort of a, a huge dearth of content. I mean, if they're putting out five shows per month, though, if they're putting out five quality shows. Yeah, but you're starting from zero shows. Right. But starting from zero. Of course. Of course. Yeah. It's crazy that it would have made sense five years ago. But the fact that everyone is now in the game of playing in their own library of content, that's the thing with all these mm-hmm. CBSs, NBCs, yada, yada, yes. yada. Everyone owns IP. Apple doesn't. So they're not even in a position to be, even though they have unlimited money and they could buy up stuff, no one's in the selling business. They're in the creating business, yes. streaming yes. business. So it's funny. I, I feel like it's like the best time to be an actor because these streaming wars are hilarious because everyone wants like top A and top B talent. Um, so I bet like Hollywood is just going through craziest craziness right now but yeah i don't know i don't know how that win to be honest they have to have like a game of thrones or a stranger things literally right out the gate and i don't see that mm-hmm. being about a show about a morning show for some reason yeah agreed. well i mean that's one of five though that's one of five shows i'm yeah. not defending them don't take don't get me wrong but i am i think my thing is more when i look at my own use case and i take hbo for example hbo for me is three to four shows per year per year i'm not going back and watching old stuff on hbo i never use hbo to watch movies even though that was their big thing back in the day mm-hmm. i subscribe on a on a monthly basis to watch three or four shows per year on hbo if apple can make quality shows that would that would look like they could appear on an hbo for example you know high quality water cooler type shows And if they're putting out five shows per month and then eventually, you know, after 12 months, you're probably going to get like season twos are going to start coming out of different shows and stuff like that. I can see them succeeding because this is not network TV. It's not like let's check the ratings, who was in first place and who was in fifth place and whoever's in fifth place. uh Oh, your show might be canceled. This is more we're putting out a TV service and are we making a profit? Yes or no. If we're profiting, Mm -hmm. then we're good. It doesn't matter if we're first place, fifth place, 20th place. As long as a profit is being made, it's not about cancellation. It's about our people enjoying our content and subscribing. Yeah. I mean, that's a good point. If Apple can make money off of it, because all these other streams, like Netflix doesn't make money. They raise right. billions of dollars from venture capital people 
to keep up and to create the original thing. So for me, I was like, oh, it would have made a ton of sense for Apple to buy Netflix. But it just seems like this rat race to the bottom. <laughs> like, how many subscribers can you get? But at the same time, a lot of these services aren't even making money. So if Apple can pull off, like, yeah, just making money, then kudos to them with only like 10 shows. Yeah, not to say there isn't a path to success for Apple with Apple TV Plus. There definitely is. I just don't see that scenario playing out for them. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Time will tell. Yes, it will. Yes, it will. That is talk of Apple's upcoming event. Again, that's happening on September 10th. And obviously, we'll bring you the latest from the event when it happens. How long do you think it's going to take until we see 8K content kind of being, you know, something that's easy to find? Because when 4K launched, you know, the, the big deal was you're launching 4K TVs. There's no content out there. But quickly, yeah. you know, companies like Netflix would, you know, start putting their content out in 4K. People on YouTube started shooting and publishing in 4K as well. Now we're seeing 8K kind of arrive. We're seeing cameras, a few cameras that can do 8K, but several that can do 6K now. What do you think? Like, are we a year or two away from seeing a bunch of 8K content? Do you plan to upgrade the videos you make, you guys? Yeah, I mean, just now, I feel comfortable in shooting everything in 4K. Like, a lot of my videos, it's not... I don't have to feel like I'm, um, like, flexing on people with 4K. Because, like, honestly, I just care about what I say in the video, right? Sure. But now, I feel like all these cameras are innovating to where it's not, a, it's not a pain anymore to shoot in 4K. Like, I have computers that can handle it. I was honestly waiting until I had desktop computers in my apartment and office because I just discovered testing out all these different laptops. It's mm -hmm. impossible to do some new workflows, no matter how expensive, how specced out your laptop is. Yeah. So now that everything has kind of reached its maturity, it's super easy for me to now shoot in 4K. But I feel like we adapted 4K probably faster than we thought. But I feel yeah. like in the transition from 1080 to 4K, people were still like buying Blu-rays, we're still like, it wasn't entirely dependent on sure, streaming, yeah. but I feel like now we're in this mode where it's only streaming. So I feel like it's not going to be the cameras. It's not going to be the TVs. I feel like it's going to be the internet providers that's really going to struggle with streaming. <laughs> and yeah. I feel like the typical person doesn't have gig internet, you know? So I think it's going to be sure. more of a challenge on the, the streaming side of things. Oh, I feel you. John, where are you at? I think when Netflix starts offering 8K streaming, because Netflix, their compression rates are amazing. And I think that's when you start to see like the 4K adoption start to hit. I mean, you could stream a smooth 4K with, I think it's like 12 to 14 down. Right. So if you're doubling or tripling that to, you know, 40 down, you can stream 8K. Uh, I think that's when you'll start to see it. We switched cameras about six months ago, and that's when we kind of started uploading in 4K. We always shot in 4K, but that's when we sort of made that transition to upload content. I think that's kind of becoming the standard fare now. It's sort of 4K is almost the accepted average for, for resolution. YouTube gives you so much flexibility. So unfortunately, nobody ever sees that content, rarely ever sees that content right. in the native resolution. Yeah, that's true. I mean, most people on their phones know. You, John, what cameras did you switch to? Is your Black Magic still your go-to? We, we went Because I full... saw you guys using it. Yeah, we went full Black Magic, and I I message people about Black Magic all the time, and I always refer to it as BM, and then like it ends up sounding super gross <laughs> what I'm saying. But yeah, we did. So we initially switched to two of their Pocket Cinema 4K cameras, and then I picked up one of the new Ursa Mini Pro G2s. It's 4.6K, and the 4Ks are awesome, but 
we had to always use a speed booster to try to get sort of EF mount on it. And then the Ursa Mini is is native EF. It's Super 35. It's got a ton of dynamic range. ND's built in. And then I think Black Magic stepped up the game and they released a 6K. You know, the Pocket Cinema yeah. 6K with Super 30. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. Uh, with Super 35 and the EF mount. So now we're using a combination of the Ursa and that 6K. And it has been amazing. Um, so cool to hear. Because literally, I'm, I I used to use the Black Magic Pocket my cameras like the og ones with the speed boosters I, the ones that you could actually fit in your pocket yeah and i kind of once i was done with those because i was shooting raw and back then you literally it was like individual dng files that you had to fit oh, together in raw, and it was just too much of a it was a pain in the ass so i basically that's when i transitioned everything to sony but recently i'm like man i need something more and i miss black magic when the 4k came out i was like oh that's so close. For some reason, I didn't pull the trigger. But then once the 6K came out, it had a you know, super 35 sensor. It had EF mount. Um, my boyfriend, John, has EF glass. So mm-hmm. it was just so easy for me to pull the trigger for some reason. And I was like, okay, bought one, just came. I'm stoked. But then I'm like, you know, of course, that comes along with like watching so many videos about these cameras. <laughs> and now I'm like, okay, well, the price for the 6K is 2500 The 4K is literally only... 1300 and then the speed booster is 600 mm-hmm. and with the speed booster you actually get a little bit more coverage than the super 35 sensor so i'm like wait that's still a cheaper option so i'm curious john with you like was there a reason why the 4k besides the fact that you can shoot six you can't shoot yeah. 6k but was there a reason why you didn't like speed mm-hmm. booster workflow yeah, so and to me to sort of add another wrinkle to things, we don't generally even shoot in Black Magic Raw, which is where you get the 6K. Usually we're shooting in in ProRes. So where I've noticed the difference is in coloring it with the Ursa Mini. The colors look really I mean the colors look identical, which has been nice. And when we had the speed booster in, you know, the extra glass, it didn't look as sharp as I would have expected it. You know, that extra the extra layer of glass there. So even with the 6K sensor shooting at 4K and ProRes, it looks sharper. So for me, that was that was worth it. I also was, I was always kind of worried that what if we're on a shoot and the speed booster breaks and something happens. Like I, I don't, I don't have a backup. I'm not yeah. picking up an, an extra uh, reliability. Yeah, cool. A 4K, go, go but I have 6K. my four thirds glass. I have a 6K. So basically, like my goal is, and I'm like going through so much, like oh. C205, Ursa, you know, I'm looking into all that stuff, but I'm like, what is the absolute cheapest way to get like eight cinemas right now? And because I have EF class and micro thirds class, wow. it's so easy to just make that 1300 is like already such a great camera that I know how to use. So I think temporarily right now, so I don't have to buy a speed booster or buy different glass. I feel like I'm just going to do like Blackmagic 6K and then one 4K setup. And I feel like especially for interview setups, that'll be like a good, good for now. And then, and then we'll see, because with all these different cameras coming in from Panasonic and Sony and even, you know, freaking Nikon with their Z6 and stuff, I feel like these companies are going to have to step up their cinema lines. Because when I was researching stuff, they're always missing things. And I'm like, it's a cinema camera. It should have everything, you know? I completely agree with that. When you do your setups for the the 4K, the 6K, the only knock I have on the black magic stuff is it is not run and gun. But if you're using it for interviews and kind of setting up, it's it's perfect. You you rig it out, you place it, and it's it's been absolutely 
amazing. Our Ursa, when we first got it, I pre-ordered the the Ursa Mini Pro, like the second it went live, we got it in. We were one of the first people that had it. We turned it on and the camera was broken. Oh. Like we're straight up. It was wow. such like a, a gut punch. It was skipping frames, but the audio kept recording. So like if you kept if you record like a 10 minute clip, the front the audio would be all out of sync. And I've heard horror stories about black magic support. I've heard just horror stories. So we contacted them. We didn't do any like name dropping or anything. We just wanted to sort of go for a regular experience. And their customer service was amazing. They asked us to send us a video of it happening. They said, we get it. There's an issue. We sent them the camera back. Within five business days, we had a brand new camera, which is as good as you, the best thing you could expect for from a customer service. So it's just been, I I could not be in love with the Black Magics anymore. We came from Sony. I know a lot of people use a Sony. They looked, always looked too digital to me, like too, too Mm. real. It didn't look, there was, there's no cinematic look to it. So that's kind of why we went Black Magic. Interesting, man. I feel like I need to like come visit you just to see that setup. Because like I, I am very much so in the middle ground of I know I want to take that step eventually and like because you said the whole run and gun thing I'm sure yeah. that Ursa Mini has like two XLR inputs yeah. you know you could throw it on your shoulder even though it's bigger I'm sure it's still easier to like built in NDs so I'm sure it has those run and gun aspects to it but yeah it's interesting I'm yeah, just Ursa, in like a camera mode right now the Ursa Mini on an easy rig is like the best combination it makes it i mean it balances perfectly it's been a really cool combo from we got to do those kind of run and gun uh kind of shoots yeah you guys are way more advanced on cameras <laughs> than i am i'm like what the in hell the weeds, are they talking man. about in the weeds like oh, i use so <laughs> i use a gh5 right now and i was looking at the the newly announced panasonic s1h which i don't know if you guys saw this one yep. but full frame yeah. 6k 10 bit yep. 1080p 120 frame per second 10 bit as well in body stabilization dual native iso which i never even seen before i love the fact that you're gonna have two sd cards in there and it'll just like go one to the other back and forth so you can basically shoot forever until your battery dies with the flip out and flip up screen like i'm all about that four thousand bucks and quite honestly like my thing as silly as it sounds like panasonic keeps me because their app is so good like I can yeah. use my iPad Pro or an iPhone or whatever, whatever iOS device and use it as my display. But it's also touch so I can, you know, I can reframe on there. I can change any camera setting on there and pretty much any other screen I've seen typically. And I could be wrong because, again, I'm not the the biggest camera guy. Most screens that I see, it's like it's just for looking, it's just for viewing and recording sometimes. But you can't really like tap and control all aspects of your camera from one of the like external displays is, is that accurate i mean luckily with the with sony stuff they, they've actually revamped all their apps in the past couple years okay. so if like i use a sony a7 III all the time and because um brain, you know, a pain but they do have a good app to where i can see it um, but i can also change the aperture shutter iso okay. i can see what i just shot so with those apps i mean it is you know kind of laggy but it is super handy and like really easy to connect but i have two gh5s and i love gh5 like for the price point i still think that is the best thing that anyone could get if they're starting in video making because mm-hmm. what it's like 1300 dollars yeah. something and like records 10 bit that's 180 frames per second at right. 1080 it's insane but my biggest revelation lately is i i had just shot this interview and i had three different cameras i had two gh5s and a sony a7 okay 
and shooting in 1080 and the a7 looked like I could get it looking really good. Like I, I liked how it looked. The colors are red. It just looks, and maybe again, it goes back to the micro fourth with sensors. You're getting less bokeh naturally. You know, that tiny sensor compared to like a full frame. It is very different, mm-hmm. but I'm just struggling to get the colors that I need out of the GH5 and get it matching other stuff. But then you look at the GH5 footage alone and you can tell it's 10 bit. Like you can tell that all the information is there. So yeah, that's why I'm excited to try the FH1 S1H. S1H, yeah. Um, Cause it, yeah, it's Panasonic's try it full frame. Like welcome Panasonic. <laughs> We've been waiting for you. <laughs> yes. Yes. And we're still waiting for Canon to give us 24 frames per second in 4k. Oh, Okay, oh, forgetting about Canon. <laughs> Literally, what the heck, Canon? They're not even allowed to be in this conversation. We're going to talk a little bit about the behind the scenes of being a content creator. As you both know, when we put out content, whether it's Instagram, YouTube, whatever it might be, people are generally seeing the 3 to 5% rather than the other 95 to 97% of work that went into what they're watching. And John, you wanted to talk about this one. Um, this week. So why don't you yeah. take the so lead? I, I think there's a perception of content creators that like that's a dream life and you you get to travel the world and and to some extent that is certainly part of it. But I think people don't always see the struggle behind the scenes or what goes on. Mm-hmm. Dealing with with negativity in in the comments um, is something that's certainly a struggle. I'm, I'm sure Sarah has a unique perspective on you know being a female on on the platform. Yeah. But I just want to say like the the life of a creator and the life of anybody people only see what we choose to share. And, you know, some people share share the good and the bad, but you're often seeing only a, a one-sided approach toward towards life. You know, when I, and I talked about this on Sarah's podcast, you know, when I sold Techno Buffalo, you know, now eight months ago, leading up to that was one of the lowest points of my professional career. And mm-hmm. people never saw that on, on camera. So I just I I didn't get this question of like a, a lot about you know what what is it like behind the scenes people are expecting this you know incredible creative process in a lot of ways it is but there's still struggle that goes on uh, with people and everybody is still a person so sort of their own perspectives on on life and sort of a, a general catch all just like be a nicer person online because everybody has everybody's got feelings everybody's got sort of something that they're working through. Yeah, totally. That was my heavy point that I wanted to make. Sort of the behind the scenes of the, the creative stuff is that like you only see what one side and what people are choosing to show you. For sure. And I think it's also interesting that, you know, even if people aren't being mean, you know, there's still a mindset out there that they should have a say in what we do, which is kind of unique to what we do. Because if I was someone who mowed lawns for a living, it would be weird if someone came out to me and was like, I hate the fact that you're mowing this lawn when I think you should be working at that Wendy's across the street. Go to the Wendy's across the street because that's what I want you to be doing. I don't want you to do what you think you should be doing. I want you to do what I want. And that's really how it is with us. Like I might have, you know, a video in mind or or a video that I might want to skip for a product I don't really care to talk about. And a lot of people will be like, well, no, you need to do this because that's what I want you to do that's what i want to see from you if you don't do what i want you to do then you you must not be good at what you do 
I feel like this is such a interesting topic because it's like one of those things like what you said, Andrew, it's like a lot of times you you feel the way towards people like how dare you have an opinion on what I make. But at the same time, the whole reason why being a YouTuber is special is because you have that special bond with your audience, right? So it's like mm-hmm. this fine line to navigate. But at the same time, it's the classic thing where, oh, the haters, it's all hate, blah, 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 ignore them. But a lot of times these are very like genuine inquiries that sometimes, you know, maybe you should listen to. But kind of the useless hate is interesting. Literally like an hour before we got in this conversation, someone on Twitter tweeted me and replied to a tweet that I put out. It's like a very normal tweet and said, Sarah is stupid and lazy. And I was like, oh, okay, this is interesting because I have the confidence. And that's like, that is the last thing that I would ever think of myself. I know 100% I'm not lazy and I know 100% I'm not stupid. Um, I was kind of able to tweet at them without without getting worked up. And I, I, I was like, genuinely, like, what led you to say that? I'm interested. And the conversation literally ended in an, an apology. And it basically ended with, oh, I'm sorry. I just, you don't post as much as you used to. I would love to see more videos from you. So I was like, okay, half of the stuff we see online is coming from a place where maybe that person is feeling something and it was just directed towards me. Maybe something really shitty happened that day and they decided to direct it towards me. I would say, hey guys, we're humans on the other side. So don't go around calling people randomly stupid and lazy when you know you're smart enough to know that they're not stupid and lazy. But I think that was such a good example to where you have to take everything with a grain of salt because truthfully, people project them having a bad day or them being a negative human mm-hmm. being or them being a trash human on you. And you can't, you can't take that to heart. Yeah, I agree with that. You know, the way that I take things with a grain of salt, the easiest thing for me is most adults that I know do not leave YouTube comments. Like they watch, but they don't, I don't, I rarely do because I don't have the time. And so in my head, it's like, if I see a comment like that, the first thing that pops in my head is like, this is probably a teenager. This is probably a kid or a teenager. This is likely not like someone on my level, another adult who wants to like hate on me. Or like, but to that, I bet you weren't going to leave those types of things. So if you had online when you were 14, Andrew, I'm sure Mm -hmm. because you're a decent human, you're not going to be leaving those terrible comments. So, I mean, I've had 60 year old men tell me what to what I should wear. You know, I, I definitely don't think it's like, That's nasty. yeah, I don't think it's like an age thing as much of just like being a good human or not, because I've met like amazing 13 year olds, but I've also met like terrible 13 year olds. And I, I feel like it's way more of just like, man, reflect your normal, the way you would interact with people in real life with how like that's how you should interface online because these aren't fake people you know right right (laughs) what are some things just out of curiosity as a woman in the tech field especially what are some things that people say or do that they may think they're being nice that they should definitely stop doing. Yeah, that the example I just gave is actually a really good one. No matter if <laughs> I maybe it happens more to women, but no matter who you're talking to, like don't aggressively tell people what they should be wearing. Like that is such a weird one that I've been getting a lot lately. Wow. And I'm like, 
guys, I'm over here living my life and you have no idea what goes into the choices I make. Like, let me live my life. And it's also like a harsher reality of what women go through literally when you're just walking the streets of New York. Like, don't want to get too graphic. But, you know, typically I wear looser clothes. But for once in my entire life, I was wearing a tighter top. The moment I stepped outside, a dude on the bike basically said, nice blank blank and you can fill in whatever Uh, but like it's just what you don't understand like the average interactions with the world are sometimes just sometimes a little bit uh different in a way to where i feel like if people just enter conversations as nice humans maybe being a little bit more empathetic it would be a better world wow like the only other person that i know that gets comments about that what they should be wearing is John. It is true. And most of those comments come from me. It happens to everyone, right? I bet whatever (laughs) the comments are, it's like whenever anyone from the internet who has no idea who you are is like telling you what to do, I think that's probably the worst, the worst part of comments where it's like, you don't know my life. Stop telling me what to do. (laughs) Yeah, right, right. But I think for me and for most men, I would assume like, you know, first of all, it's rare that I get those types of comments. But second of all, if and when I do, it's very easy for me to brush off because it's so rare. Right. It's not something that's just every day. This is just part of being a woman. You just, this is what happens. Right. And it usually doesn't have like sweetie or honey at the end of it. Jeez. Yeah. See, that's the kind of stuff that I was like, what can we educate people on to, because again, I think some of these people think they are being nice. They don't realize that they're creepy. They're like, oh, I'm, I'm a nice person because I'm complimenting, you know, I'm leaving compliments and I'm giving, I'm giving recommendations. Like how much, how much of a bigger fan could I be than this? But it's like, no, that's no, you just, no. Right. Yeah. Just be a nice human. I think it comes down to that. And like, think about how you would like to be talked to. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The one that mm-hmm. I get a lot, how much do I make? Like DMS and Yikes. I don't know how my phone, my phone number like got out there somewhere. I don't know, but like I'll get like phone calls. Like I'll answer the phone. Like not anymore. I don't. I I pretty much let everything go to voicemail nowadays. But like I would have like twelve year olds call me. Like hey hey, is this Andrew Edwards? Like yes, it is. Oh my god, I just watched your videos. How much did you make last month? Like like they just want to ask questions about my earnings. And there's <laughs> I've become a meme on Twitter. Like I've been doing this for such a long time, and I always try to tell people like if you're trying to build a business, build a business, not a YouTube channel which is not to say neglected YouTube channel, but a lot of the YouTube mentality centers around what are my subscriber numbers, which does not put food on the table. And I've always kind of ignored subscriber numbers in favor of what do I need to do to increase my business income, like have a more and more successful business each and every year. So that has kind of become a meme with me in the tech community and people just always are contacting me to ask me about like money. And it's so strange because I don't really find many topics to be taboo with anyone that I know, like personally, like if if you know me personally, you ask me about what I earn or politics or, you know, how I feel about anything. I feel like as a human being, it's good to be like, have dialogue and get to know each other and like, just be open. So I'm totally cool being open with people and accepting whatever they have to say, even if it's in direct conflict with what I believe. Just because you don't believe what I believe doesn't mean you're not, you have no worth to me as a human being. But if I have no clue who you are, that's strange. Why are you asking me about my income? 
people just yeah it's the new rock star they just want to be a youtuber because they see logan paul buying like a new lamborghini (laughs) so it's one of those things where like if it wasn't a youtuber they'd be chasing another thing for the money and so those i mean i think ultimately why the people who are successful YouTubers now, they didn't imagine that this was going to be their job. You know, they, they did it because they love making videos. So I think that's one of those things where like if you're a kid, if you're younger, you're looking at people, you know, if you're looking at the Ace family building a mansion and um, doing all this stuff. And you think that's what being a YouTuber equals. That's very rarely the case. And so hopefully people t- like have enough context to know that Mm -hmm. it is the top of the top one percent with that stuff and the same the same amount of of work it takes to be like the biggest rock star it probably takes to be the biggest youtuber on the planet so and just so people don't think that we're trying to hate on followers and subscribers and all that why don't we talk about what we love about people who interact with us the good ones i don't really have any for me, the good ones make it all worthwhile. The one tweet or message that's like, wow, like, I love what you're doing. Or like, I could see the work that went into it. Like, there's even just one nice comment in a slew of negativity is enough to make my day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think the best thing for me is just when I'm like walking around New York and it's just the random like two people every week who come up to me and are like, whoa, you inspired me to do this. You inspired me to do that. Like, the inspiring action in people's lives is really, really cool. Yeah, I agree. Um, I had someone come up to me at an event couple of years ago yeah and they were just like hey are you Andrew Edwards I'm like yeah what's up what's going on and he was a journalist at the same event he was like the only reason I do what I do for a living is because when I was 16 years old I would read your website every day and it inspired me to do this and I was like it's so weird because the older I don't know John about you but like the older you get and also as a dad like the older if you're a dad the older you get like the easier it is to like cry I found and so, <laughs> <laughs> that is a fair statement. So like <laughs> whenever something like that happens, I'm like trying to be cool. Like 21 year old Andrew, like, Hey, what's up? I appreciate that dude. But in the, inside I'm like, okay, just hold it together because <laughs> this That's is going to be weird for him. If you start crying. And the other one was, man, like someone left a comment on a video that was, it wasn't even like a, a big video, like a, you know, an iPhone review or anything, which is, you know, a normal thing. And he's like, Hey, my son is going through chemo he's 10 years old he loves tech and every you know i don't know every week or every day whatever it might have been we watch your videos together and it just helps us forget about you know for five to ten minutes you know what we're going through and i'm just like oh my god like (laughs) it gives you the feeling of it's not just about hey look what you know look at this smart home thing i can ask siri to do stuff for me but it's really like there's there's people out there that the stuff that we do means so much more than just this is the next job or this is the next brand deal or this is the next cool feature. Mm-hmm. Couldn't have said it better. All right. Well, there you have it, guys. That was this week's episode of Geared Up. First of all, big Ooh. thank you once again to Sarah Dietschy for joining us this week. Yes. Thanks for having me. We appreciate your time. Absolutely. And um, we'll see you next time here on Geared Up.